Nearly a million searches have been performed. How can I get a job as a teen? They want to work. Without any mental health experience, are you saying, again, I want to reiterate this, that they're there to help those kids deal with those crises? Pushing their priority of their posts down, censoring speech. I mean, time and time again, we've seen how this has happened. From the fourth floor of the Capitol Rotunda, you're listening to WFSU Public Media's Capitol Report, the podcast. I'm Tom Flanagan. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. HR Florida State Council, affiliate of the Society of Human Resource Management, advocating for the workplace on behalf of 16,000 human resource professionals and 6,300 Florida employers. HR Florida State Council. More at hrflorida.org. Among today's capital action... We have this late-breaking story, a measure that opponents worried would help to establish fetal personhood in Florida, has stalled in its final committee and is now unlikely to pass this session. Regan McCarthy reports the bill would have added the term unborn child to the state's wrongful death statute, allowing parents to sue if a wrongful act caused the loss of a pregnancy. Supporters of the bill say those grieving after another person's negligence causes the loss of a pregnancy should have a path in state law that allows them to recover damages. Opponents say the bill opened the door to frivolous lawsuits that could be used to harass abortion providers and could potentially be used to block abortion access. They also worried the measure could put access to in vitro fertilization at risk. Senate bill sponsor Republican Erin Grawl said in a statement she believes more work needs to be done on the bill to ensure it addresses remaining concerns and to be certain the state gets the policy right. The move comes after the Alabama Supreme Court recently ruled in a wrongful death case that frozen embryos count as children, causing a disruption of IVF treatment in that state. I'm Regan McCarthy. Parental choice could be added to a controversial child labor bill. Tristan Wood reports that Zephyr Hills Republican Senator Danny Burgess filed an amendment after the original proposal passed the House that would require businesses to get parents' permission to schedule older teens for more than 30 hours of work a week. The issue is pending in the Senate Rules Committee. The version of the bill that passed the House earlier this month would have allowed 16- and 17-year-olds to work full-time, regardless of their parents' wishes. During the bill's House committee stops, St. Pete Beach Republican Representative Linda Cheney was adamant about keeping 30-hour cap removal in her bill. Nearly a million searches have been performed. How can I get a job as a teen? They want to work, but these uh, restrictions discourage employers from hiring them. Cheney's version received fierce opposition throughout the process. Florida rising lobbyist Jackson Oberlink has criticized the legislation as part of a larger nationwide push from corporate interests. Similar bills have been pushed in multiple states with Iowa and Arkansas passing them in 2023. This trend is a part of a coordinated effort supported by industry organizations and funded by billionaires, aiming to systematically weaken federal labor standards applicable nationwide. The bill still needs to be approved by the Senate and survive DeSantis's veto pen to become law. I'm Tristan Wood. 
When a British band called The Who were just getting started, one of their first hits was a little ditty called The Kids Are All Right. But in Florida right now, it seems the kids may not be all right at all. It's an issue that's dominated conversations in the Florida legislature this year as lawmakers seek a myriad of ways to address growing mental health concerns around children. One idea they've had is to allow chaplains, people of religious faith, to come into schools to provide mentorship and counseling. As Lynn Hatter reports, that's not sitting well with some people. The proposal is backed by Republican Representative Stan McClain. Our children are, have, are in crisis. We, we agree that parents need help. We agree that uh, there are a lot of needs that, uh, that spiritual needs that people could, could meet. McLean recently defended his bill before the full House of Representatives. It gained bipartisan approval, though not without some concerns. This is a person with a uh, possibly just a high school diploma without any mental health experience. Are you saying, again, I want to reiterate this, that they're there to help those kids deal with those crises? That's Democratic Representative Robin Bartleman. The proposal has no requirements other than background checks for chaplains. It's voluntary for school districts, and they can lay out other parameters for chaplains to meet. For districts that do want those services, they have to allow parents to opt out and post a list of the chaplains along with their religious affiliations. The chaplain's work would be in addition to the counseling services districts already provide. The vote for the bill does not break down neatly on party lines. A number of Democrats voted for the measure in the House, says Democratic Representative Kelly Skidmore. Everyone uh, has a, a feeling about whether or not bringing faith into school is the right thing to do. And some some of us, uh, some of our Democrats feel strongly that that's a good thing. Uh, I think that many of us just think there should be some uh, parameters and guardrails around what that looks like. The House Democratic Caucus did not take an official position on the bill. The opinions of chaplains and Christian groups has been overwhelmingly positive. Several chaplains have voiced support for the bill and see it as a solution to the problems plaguing schools like violence, shootings, poor mental health, waning academic performance, and a breakdown in what the Christian Family Coalition's John Labriola says is overall morality. Um, and we've seen that the problem that that exists is because of the this push towards secularization that began decades ago uh, that has basically tried to remove God from every aspect of the public sphere, including public schools. The measure is now before the Florida Senate, which will have final say. I'm Len Hatter. As Florida debates banning minors from social media, it's defending another policy to prevent those companies from censoring adults. The U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments today over a 2021 Florida law that punishes companies that try to moderate or censor certain types of speech. State Attorney General Ashley Moody says no one entity should decide what sort of speech is good or bad. You cannot decide you are going to censor one political viewpoint or a type of speech over another and do that by just taking people off your platform, pushing their priority of their posts down, censoring speech. I mean, time and time again, we've seen how this has happened. 
Moody spoke in Washington, D.C., following oral arguments. The laws from Florida and Texas being challenged were born out of concerns that conservative views were being deprioritized on the sites. Moody cited a 2021 incident where a COVID conversation hosted by Governor DeSantis was removed by YouTube for spreading what the site said was disinformation. Guests on the panel questioned the use of masks during the pandemic. And when the platform didn't agree with that topic, they wiped it from the platform. After holding themselves out to be a place where users could generate content to share opinions and their political their viewpoints. That is so important when you are a free society. Moody also called out the Biden administration for siding with the social media companies. During arguments, justices appeared to be conflicted about how far to go when it comes to regulating social media companies and their speech. Some justices compared the issue to that of newspaper editorials, noting that those two are moderated. The arguments come amid a broader cultural debate about the role of social media as a public square and growing concerns about how much power it has to influence. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is adding millions of dollars toward disaster relief initiatives. The governor says additional funding will hopefully get Floridians back on their feet after Hurricane Adelia destroyed parts of the Big Bend. Adrian Andrews has that story. Six months have gone by since Hurricane Idalia wrought havoc along Florida's Big Bend. The storm made its landfall with winds reaching 120 miles per hour, ripping through homes and businesses. To assist in recovery efforts, DeSantis plans to send $6 million to the communities impacted. These awards um, do a variety of things, particularly with respect to infrastructure. Nine rural counties will be splitting $5.3 million to improve water and sewer services. Levy County Commission Chairwoman Desiree Mills says part of that money will be used to restore damaged water pumps in Cedar Keys fish farms. Part of the livelihood here is aquaculture farming. We appreciate the specific awards and the support today for this critical industry. This act will ensure that the aquaculture of Cedar Key will remain pristine and viable for generations to come. In coordination with other state-funded recovery programs, DeSantis says he is also awarding an additional $1 million to help low- to moderate-income homeowners who are without insurance. He says the award will accelerate the recovery process for Floridians who lost their homes or experienced severe damage from the storm, uh, and we're going to do even more. The money for these projects will come from the state's Rural Infrastructure and Disaster Relief Fund, which the Florida legislature secured last November in response to the storm. I'm Adrian Andrews. Our regular Capitol Report correspondents are Adrian Andrews, Gina Jordan, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, Margie Menzel, and Tristan Wood. Shows are available Monday through Thursday by 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, wherever you get your podcasts. On many of these Florida public radio stations, you can tune in each Friday to catch the latest on all things happening at the Capitol. That show's also available in podcast form. Technical assistance comes from Taylor Cox. I'm Tom Flanagan. This is Capitol Report, the podcast from WFSU Public Media. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. HR Florida State Council, affiliate of the Society of Human Resource Management, advocating for the workplace on behalf of 16,000 human resource professionals and 6,300 Florida employers. HR Florida State Council, 
More at hrflorida.org. Capital Report is a production of WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee.